Welcome to Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast where we talk about anything and everything family law related. Welcome to Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast with me, Alex, and my fellow legal professional, Liza. Liza, I thought we might talk about some property cases today in general terms and, and maybe talk about one or two cases that have been handed down over the years that still have an impact. So when I'm talking about property cases or when you're talking about property cases, what do you mean by that? Um, when we're breaking up the marital assets or de facto assets. So anything that you own, either separately or together, um, often need to be divided in a way um, that is going to be suitable to both parties and um, sometimes assets need to be sold but there's a there's usually a mechanism that's applied before people will in fact be able to divide their property and that mechanism is that the one that we've spoken about previously which is to do with um, ident- identifying the property pool mm-hmm. and um, looking at the contributions and the future needs of the parties yep. and of course the most important thing is it in fact just and equitable yep. to so have the property settlement at all? What Do used to be to the four-step process is now the five-step process because the first and the fifth step are really closely aligned, which is should we even be thinking about making a, right. a property settlement? And the, and the fifth one is make sure it's fair. Okay, all right. Well, let's talk about some of the different types of cases we get. I know that we've done an episode before about short relationships, but without characterising the duration... What sort of cases would normally see a 50-50 split of all of the property? Okay, so you've got, um, with 50-50 cases, one of the most common myths is that parties will think that there's a, that's a starting point, that no matter what their relationship is, that they start with a 50-50 split. That's not always the case. A lot of judicial commentary in the cases that say, we're not necessarily starting there, so don't no. assume it. No, and it, but it doesn't mean that you start at zero or a hundred no, either. Bizarrely, then quite often those same cases do kind of start from there anyway. They so, do. Well, why shouldn't I start from there? Well, I mustn't start from there, but why don't I start from there? So, uh, typically, a fifty-fifty case might have um, parties that have been living together for a long period of time, yep. and are now retired. So right. I'm talking so you know, a reasonable length of relationship yeah, then. Yeah, you know, um, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five years. That sort of that sort of. Um, time frame um you should get a medal as well <laughs> yeah well you can i think um i think the queen oh no that's just for your birthday isn't it? i was going to say you, did you do you still get the um certificate for your years you of marriage do you i thought you got a certificate for somewhere for you know if you get your 25 years of marriage and 50 years of marriage oh i've got one year to go until i get a shiny certificate then. oh that's good. <laughs> I'll, I'll write you one myself <laughs> i've never heard of a certificate oh, thing okay. issued by somebody maybe i'm getting like it well confused with something but you, anyway you're not mixing it up with the parole board hearing are you oh i <laughs> <laughs> probably um the other types of things that you've got is you know if it's not so much a, a long um relationship it might be only a short period of time but it might be that the assets that have been acquired um, jointly are pretty much the same, that both parties earn a similar amount. There are no children around so there's and there's no adjustment in terms of future needs. But so that's all about a contributions-based yeah, argument. So if isn't it? You've you both chipped in the same stuff. Yep, you've both got the same income or similar income. You've both... And then nobody needs anything more than the other no, at the end of it. So and that's it seems fair to say... It's a 50-50 sort of case. Um. 
sometimes if one party's brought more assets into the into the relationship, um, you might think that it's more fair that that party gets the majority of the property pool, but that's not always the case, particularly if you've got children and the other party has been looking after those kids and has has to continue to look after those children because um, that's a case where sometimes it might still be 50-50, even though on a financial contribution basis, um, one party outweighs the other in terms of their contributions, their financial contributions. It may be that the kids actually um, will even that score for that for those those um, that couple. So that's another type of case where it might be considered a 50-50 case. Um, in a lot of cases, though, that we see, it's not always 50-50. There's more of a, what we do find is that 60-40 or 55-45. That's sort of, you know, it gets very um, close enough to 50-50 where parties don't really care because, of course, you know, when, you, when you're looking at uh, what, what is 50% of a $500,000 property pool mm. and... And then what is, you know, what's that extra amount actually mean? What is that extra 10%? What is that extra 5%? So That's often the conversations that you and I have with clients either during the court or the litigious process or post-separation post settlement conferences and things like that to say, look, how much money do you want to spend to recover slightly less than the amount that you're going to spend to recover it? You know, if going to court and having a fully blown fight with barristers left, right and centre, you know, doing all of the cross-examination for which they, they're so beloved. Um, that can cost you each $50,000 for sure if you end up in that sort of situation. And if you have a $500,000 property pool, mm. that's 10% of it that you've yeah. each spent. So that's 20% of the pool that you've given away to some you know, lovely barristers that we know. Uh, and indeed, you're an ex-barrister, so it would have been something you'd you, have been... Plenty of times. But it's, um, it's about getting some proportionality about it, isn't it? So yeah. a 50-50 case, but if you, you sometimes you might get an offer that... Perhaps the other person's ego needs that massage of getting 1% or 2%. Look, I've won that argument, aren't I great? And it might think, crikey, I don't really want to give them the extra five or $10,000. But if it saves you fifty or 60000 be a realist. And speaking from a, a non-mathematician and, um, <laughs> and a lot of people out there, if you said, righto, the property pool is $780,000 and one party is to get, um, say, three hundred and this is where my maths is going to get tested. I should have done eight hundred. Let's go eight hundred thousand. <laughs> this is this is why um, lawyers aren't great mathematicians. So say you've got an eight hundred thousand dollar property pool, um, and we know that fifty fifty, true fifty 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 is four hundred thousand. Um, sometimes it might be four hundred and ten thousand to one party and three hundred and ninety thousand dollars to party the other party. Mm-hmm. Now that in a lot of people's minds is close enough to a fifty fifty split. So it's still taken. We, we still would classify that as a 50-50. When you go to write it down on a form, of course, the percentage number that you use is going to be different. It's going to say, you know, mm. um, 51% or 49% or whatever the case may be. But this is where we say to people, you might hear your lawyer say to you, don't get caught up on the percentage because when you look at it from, a real, ter- from real terms – we still would call those sorts of cases 50-50, even though technically it's not exactly 50-50, but it's yeah, close Yeah, there might enough. be 1% or 2% differential yeah. or something like that. But and of, and, of course, when you're sending through court orders for approval by the court, then the registrars that look at those on a consent basis 
they're not they're not allowed by law to make them unless they consider that arrangement to be just and equitable. Mm. So if you do get the seal of the court on those orders that you have agreed, even if you might have ground your teeth to get that far, um, if the courts approve them, then they are in the range that you could have ended up with anyway if you'd gone for a trial. Yeah. So don't lose too much sleep over that. And I, I guess there's a pragmatic thing as well because it's quite rare that you will end up with a property pool that consists solely of one you know, pile of cash in a bank account somewhere, just one amount of money. It's very often tied up in different things. So you know, you've got imbalances in superannuation. You might have a piece of real estate where you've got you know, several hundred thousand dollars of equity, but also mortgage debt with that. One of you wants to keep the house. One of you is desperate to keep hold of all of your super. So it needs to be structured in such a way that works. And sometimes that could mean that your 50-50 deal that in theory might be appropriate, it's probably better to have a, a division whereby a person keeps the house, another person keeps the business, you keep your own cars. And if that means that your perfect 50-50 isn't 50-50, but 49-51, well, it's still just and equitable. Mm. And if, particularly with things like businesses, they can go on and create income streams for you and a house, of course, equity tends to grow. I mean, uh, we're not financial advisors and I'm suggesting to anybody... Clearly not, as as you can tell, they couldn't even work out the... 50 50 of 780,000. That's all good. Well, we're not accountants, but we often refer people to accountants and yep. uh, we don't give tax advice, of course. We'll send you to your tax advisors. But I guess my point is that to be pragmatic about it, so a 50 50 doesn't have to look exactly down the line 50 50. No. If you get caught up on that kind of level of detail, then you may very well end up in court because that's how your personality might take you. Um, all right, so that's a typically a 50-50 case then is one where the contributions have been broadly equal and mm. in a family law context that can mean one person might have been the primary breadwinner, the other person might have been the primary home carer and carer for the children, but overall their contributions in a family law context are seen as equal. And then there's no necessity for an adjustment. So just touching ba- briefly on those adjustment factors then, those are things like how old everybody is, whether anybody's got any illnesses, um, who's looking after the children, the relationship, that sort of thing. So, yeah. if there's a dip, you know, if there's a, an appreciable difference between where somebody's at in life compared to the other person, then you might have to spend a bit of time on that. But if they're equal age people with no responsibilities to children of the relationship, with equal earning capacities and so on, then there really probably wouldn't be a need to adjust beyond that. No, and often. Um, as you get older, there's everyone's got ailments of some sort. So, you know, you, <laughs> so you're hobbling at, here earlier. Yeah. Well, that's the, like the case of Stanford, which is the the main case that people talk about. The lawyers will talk about when um, you're talking about the just and equitable, um, ne- like the need for it to be a just and equitable split. Yeah. Um, that case, the parties were married for a, a long time, and um, the the wife became. Um, quite disabled and was needing care, like full-time care. Um, but despite all that, when when the court looked at it overall, it was still brought it back down to being more of a 50-50 um, time, sorry, not 50-50 time, 50-50 split, I should say. Um, I think the, the trial judge in that case initially said, oh, 60-40, um, but they brought it back down having regard to some contributions. So... Um, you know, I think the length of the marriage or relationship is really going to take is is going to have a big impact on that fifty fifty split as well. Yeah, and, and even though I, there are there's case law out there saying that 
contributions are not so much eroded, initial contributions are not so much eroded by the passage of time, but the weight that is given to those contributions is um, affected by the duration mm. of the relationship. Yeah. Which I, I mean, I think it's a little bit double speak. That is really it. The nut, the nutty, net effect of all of that is that somebody who comes into a relationship with a lot more money, but it's a very long relationship. Yeah. The benefit of them having done that, they they kind of lose the ability to they argue do. about that over time. Mm. Uh, well, it sort of sounds a bit like an erosion, but I, I, I'll let finer legal minds than mine thrash through those semantics. Um, okay, so when what might be moved to say like yeah. a sixty forty or a, even a seventy thirty case, or I mean, of course yeah, we well do this from time to time, even like the eighty twenty or ninety tens. I mean, it does happen. It does, but it's rare, and I think there's a common misconception out there. Um, the amount of clients I have coming to me that says, "I deserve seventy percent. I've mm. done so much more." Often, it's the person who's either they believe that. Um, they've contributed or they've wasted their life being the homemaker. And I say wasted their life because that's what they, a lot of people, when, they, when they're separating, they feel like, oh, what have I done? I've only raised the children and I've, I haven't had these opportunities to go and make some money and um, earn a living and generate some super. So they feel like they've wasted you know, their, their life um, all for the benefit of their, the other side, the other party who's now said, see you later, I'm going to find a newer model. Um, you can tell I've had a few of those inquiries lately. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, or then you've also got the other side of the equation, which is the party who has, um, who sees it from their perspective, which is I've brought um, all the money into this house. I've paid the mortgage. I've put food ev- on on the table. I've put the um, roofs over the heads of everyone for all this time, and I'm entitled and to this seventy percent or more than seventy mm. percent split. So that, that arithmetical happens. calculation of here is all the aggregation of the money that's coming from my salary, my wages, my yep. earnings over this 20-year marriage, and here's yours. Mine is you know, quadruple yours. It's yep, that's what I, I get that quite a fair bit where they come in with a with a spreadsheet. I love the Excel spreadsheets that <laughs> set out um, and have the comparison of the incomes over the years as if it's a strict mathematical equation. It's not. And it's not. It's because not. judges were usually law- lawyers once and they're probably not as good with the maths either. That's what they need their associates to try and work it out too. Oh, well, there is also the other side about the contributions to the welfare of the That's family, right. which is, you know, it's spelled out under section um, 79.4c if you're married or 90.sm.4c if you're de facto, if anybody gets bored and can't sleep at night and wants to look up the Family Law Act. And that particular section it's sort of mirrored really for married or de facto people but it talks about contributions um, that are non-financial in this way it says the contribution made by a party to the marriage to the welfare of the family constituted by the parties to the marriage and any children of the marriage including any contributions made in the capacity of homemaker or parent so it's spelled out in the legislation there in the law that governs what must we take into account as a contribution Mm. So you, things that you do looking after things at home, things that you do looking after the kids, um, but also of each other as well, you know, that matrimonial or relationship support that you give one another in taking care of the home. Those are all valid contributions too. Over a long period of time, that could be quite you know, substantially greater contributions to the welfare of the family made by that one person, you know, the person that hasn't been the breadwinner over those years. Yeah. They could be greater contributions even. They could be. Um and I, I, 
often we see um, the cases, the types of cases that end up in the um, largest differentiation between splits, so a 70-30 split, for example, they'll include cases where there's a, a, a lot higher net worth of the property pool because a lot of the time, um, because in real dollars, you know, you, you think about someone who's worth, say, $10 million, um, and here goes my maths again, 10% of that is still a hell of a lot of money. I'm not even going to... like. Did you say $10 million? No, 10%. 10% of $10, of $10 million. million. Yeah. I'm going to venture okay. that one. It's it, okay. It's okay. <laughs> no, no. I Look, maths are bad, but there's a calculator, so you don't have to feel too worried. But the point, though, is that it's still a million bucks. It's still quite a substantial amount of money. And so there, there seems to be, um, and in my experience, a lot less of a focus on, um, on the, you know, w- being too concerned about what is whether ten percent um, in the ordinary case sounds like a very low percentage split. You know, so it might be a ninety ten um, case, and you might think, oh, hang on a minute, but there was such a long relationship and. Wife did all this and wife did all that, but it might be for reasons that are. It might be that the husband has um, ventured into a particular business model, and that business has done extremely well through through whatever reason. Um, and there might be a, a significant um, higher net well uh, worth of that property pool, particularly if at the start of the relationship, even if it was a very long relationship. That business was already, you know, it was already underway. There was that still that initial contribution, but because of the size of it all, mm. the time hasn't really had much of an opportunity to erode away those contributions. There's and still, if it was massively disproportionate, it may never, in fact, erode or, or yep. reduce the weight to be yep. given to it to such an effect. Yeah, although I mean, the, the cases are pretty clear that um, there's no distinction between a financial contribution um, and those. Um, made an, on a homemaking basis. Oh, that's right. So the, the things that you do, and, and interestingly, the contributions to the welfare of the children of the marriage, they, they don't necessarily cease once the children turn 18. No. So you know, people can have a long marriage, as you say, and their children might grow up. And, they, and you continue to do things for those adult children and even potentially grandchildren, which assists those children, mm. those are contributions. They are. Um, you know, it's in the capacity of homemaker or parent. It doesn't fall off the ledge when they turn 18 and say, oh, it doesn't matter anymore. So you know, we often see cases where, f- you know, of course, pa- families have multiple children and they're all of different age ranges. And it's not as though somebody's contribution for the children as soon as they finish, uh, finish their minority, as soon as they turn 18. Those are ongoing contributions to the welfare of the family. I was thinking about um, when you've you've got a, a case where there's a large disparity. Um, say for example, now I'm going I'm going to go bigger again because ten million probably it's a lot of money um, for most people. But say for example, it's a hundred million dollars. We're talking extremely high net worth, mm. right? Say we've got someone worth a hundred million dollars. Probably um, a Western Australian case. Well, yeah. Um, Reinhardt? No, <laughs> just joking. I, I was thinking of Strand, but... <laughs> uh, so, oh, you're talking about a real case. Yeah, I, I, yeah, was I was just making yeah, one up. I was just making one up. Um, no, in terms of... Um, so, say, for example, you've got um, one like a, a party that's worth 100 million bucks 20 years ago. Right. And they... 100 million bucks 20 100, years ago. 100 million bucks 20 years ago, right? And now, who knows what they're worth? They're probably worth, you know, 500 million bucks or something. 
or it might not have gone up that much. The point is that what I'm trying to get at is that how does the court, does the court put a dollar figure or not so much literally put a dollar figure on that initial contribution um, of and that continued contribution of the other other party being the homemaker. Now, the point you made before was that the court doesn't really differentiate between financial and non-financial contributions. Um, they just take it as being a contribution. But in the, in the case where there's an extreme disparity, you've got someone that's worth 100 million bucks to start off with, then you have this long relationship and the other party has, you know, raised the, raised the kids... Um, they're doing well. She doesn't have that much to um, to go off for herself because she's been a homemaker for most of her life. How would the court, do you think, treat that? Because ordinarily you might think, okay, well, it's sort of 50-50, but that's a huge contribution at the start. Arban Legal is proud to sponsor Split Happens. You'll be in safe hands with Arban Legal. For all your family law needs, call us on 07 or visit our website at arbanlegal.com.au. It is. And uh, look, I think the courts would still give a considerable amount of weight to that, that disparity in contributions, mm. so even after a couple of decades. It's really a platform argument, isn't it, saying none of this other stuff would have been possible were it not for that. That's right. And that's still preserved as an asset and it's still ongoing. Um, the, um, that, that Western Australian case I was mentioning, the Strand case, yeah. which that was mega millions yep. to the point where, I mean, these people spent as long fighting over their money. They were in court they, for years. They were yeah. in court for 12 yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. And they spent, pin your ears back and start weeping that it wasn't your client here, but they spent... $35 million in legal fees. <laughs> oh, God. Now, goodness me, that's a that's a fair few hours, but it's over 12 years. Yeah. The, and they went through various law firms and multiple barristers and goodness knows how many hearings. And ultimately, there was a, a, an order made, but we're talking about you know, multi, multi, multi millions mm. of dollars and Swiss chalets and all of that sort of stuff and spousal maintenance claims of, you know, north of eighty and $90,000 a week and things like that. So, yeah. Um, when you get those kind of big money cases, I mean, the court was, I think, highly critical of the parties and some of the lawyers for letting it go on for such a long time and for spending so much money. And the fact that they were in the divorce courts, if I can use that term, as long as they were married. Yeah. It's crazy. That's I mean, right. They had a 24-year relationship of which half was in court. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. But, um, in no, that, but in that case, I think that yeah. did generally sort of preserve the husband's sort of business assets yep. on his side, although it gave... A, you know, a very considerable amount of settlement to the wife as well. I guess I guess what I wanted to basically um, make sure that the listeners out there understand is that um, what you and I think is a massive initial contribution isn't always going to be a, as big of a contribution as what the court might think. Mm. Um, if you've put forward $300,000 10, 20 years ago, it's probably not going to be treated like those multi-million dollar cases that you might do no. some Googling and go, oh, but this fellow, he made a... a you'll, you'll read it, you'll say, you'll Google something, you'll say, big contribution at the start of the relationship, of, of start of long relationship. And it might bring up those sorts of results of these multi-million dollar cases. Um, 
whereby you know husband in, in that case particularly um, will get to retain um, majority of that property pool. Yeah, well, they but end, that's they more ended of up the with, exception. They ended up with forty-eight million bucks to divvy up between them, and and I think he got thirty-eight and she got eleven, yeah. but she'd already had thirteen, so yeah. he got more of the assets. Yeah, but she still had received a significant sum. But I guess um, I often, from from my perspective, um, I have clients who come to me all the time who think that they're hundred thousand, fifty thousand, three hundred thousand, four hundred thousand, even contribution at the start of a long relationship, is actually going to tip the scales. It, and it, it rarely does. It isn't unless it is it's, you know, it's, huge. It's not. It really needs to be massively disproportionate. Yeah. In, in to sort of society generally, you think about how much it costs to buy a house these days. That's right. How far $300,000 will get you, you know, even rolling that back a decade, if you're together for that period of time. It, it's going to be you know, ameliorated by all of the other contributions you do, both financially yep. and non-financially, over that decade or more relationships. So yeah. Yeah, so those sort of those sixty forty type seventy thirty cases, you know, where it's you know loaded on one side, very often it's not so much going to be the contributions that drives the difference, but the needs of the parties. Yep. And very often that means like you know little Johnny or little Jenny is going to be spending more time with mum or with dad, and therefore that needs to be factored into mm-hmm. the property settlement because looking after children can impinge upon your ability to earn money. It can impinge upon your ability to develop your career. It doesn't have to, but sometimes it can. This is an old, you know, this is a piece of legislation that's been kicking around since the 1970s. And and we were talking in an earlier episode about amendments going through, but those considerations are still the same considerations. Mm. Who has the who has the care for the children? There's a factor that the court must think about when it's considering a needs adjustment, which pushes you out to that sort of 55, 60 percent differential. Other things that the courts will change um, those sort of notional 50-50 or equal divisions around would be because of the health of somebody. Uh, and that can kind of cut both ways, can't it? Somebody who, yeah. you know, if, if somebody has a debilitating condition that affects them, impinges their earning, but also causes them expense, and aside from the pain and discomfort of that, but it's not life-threatening. They are going to need more money over their life mm. lifestyle, sorry, their remaining life period to be able to manage that condition. And so they will, but the key to that is that non-life-threatening. It is, yeah. And so, so if you've got terminal cancer, um, if one party has terminal cancer, for example. Mm, I did have a matter like that, that some years ago whereby she recovered from absolutely certain terminal cancer, oh, which okay. probably could have given pause to think about should we have re-invig- reinvigorated the litigation? Were the medical evidence we have to scratch? But you know what? Good for her. She survived. Yeah. Um, so um, when you're thinking about the future needs, it's not just um, – it, it's you might think to try and bolster your case by saying, I need all this stuff, but just remember how far does that – what does that actually mean? Does that mean that you, you need all this um, money on all these expenses because – your treatments are so high, like the treatment costs are so high, but what does that mean for your life expectancy? If your life expectancy is quite low, f- with a, whether it be cancer or otherwise, um, it may mean that um, your th- there will be less of an adjustment on future needs basis because you're just not going to be around to en- enjoy those the fruits of um, of that action. So yeah, 
uh, and there are other things as well. Look, we live in a, a, a world where family violence is a bit of a spectre in the corner of most family law cases these days. And there's a famous case, Kennan and Kennan, where the courts even made an adjustment in the financial settlement because of the perpetration of family violence over a number of years, which made it much harder for, I think, the wife in that matter to... Uh, be able to earn because she was subject to the domestic violence. So that can be a factor too that's taken into account as well. Yeah, and also too, um, there's a case, we call it a rob and rob case, which is where parties, you know, um, in this day and age especially, you've got a lot of blended families and where it might be um, mum might have children from a previous relationship and the um, husband, uh, the new husband looks after children, treats them as his own, cares for them, um, financially provides for them. Mm. Um, that f- that person, that husband is under no obligation to in fact do that but still does and, and sometimes um, a court will take that into account and say, well, that's an additional contribution on his part. But not in every case. Not in every everything's case. nuanced, isn't that's it? Right. I mean you you walk into courses I did earlier this week thinking, this is how this is going to go. The yeah. the facts are very obviously like this and and halfway through the, the court, the judge is sort of saying all the words that we, we, we were expecting, myself and the counsel that I briefed for the day. Think, great, yep, this is going to give the outcome that we were thinking of. And then comes back a little bit later in the afternoon and kind of reverses what she said. And you just one never know, or, or the, the judicial officer, male or female. And um, yeah, you just never know. It's so very nuanced. We should do a whole episode, I think, on what the way you think it's going to work <laughs> out versus what actually happened on the day. Because I think um, perception and reality is the two totally different things when it comes to family law, especially once you step into the courtroom. I often say to people, there's no such thing as the unwinnable case and there's no such thing as the unlosable case because whenever you think you have that, you know, that lay down Lazare, that slam dunk, that absolutely certain case, there'll be a piece of evidence that doesn't appear in anybody's material that the judge is interested in and it's not there and it turns out to be pivotal. It might be an absolute red herring. Mm. Everybody then spins their afternoon wheels around looking for this you know, irrelevant yet apparently super important piece of evidence and suddenly the eyes off the prize and the, the judgment's handed down in a very clunky kind of way. Um, not, I'm, not, I'm certainly not having a go at any judges in relation to that because sometimes the nature of the evidence is really sketchy as my mm. teenagers would say. Um, okay, so other things that might impact upon who gets what would be this uh, this other thing that's not property exactly, but it's financial resources. What might that include? I, 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 typically, I'm thinking about somebody who might have an interest in a trust, but it's a discretionary trust. So if you have a husband or a wife who's going to be you know, we all know, sitting around this table and sitting around with the clients, we all know that that person's going to be receiving the benefits of money from their family trust for years to come. But as it's a discretionary trust, it's not going well, to be considered to be property as no, such. No, that's right. That's but why on the um, one, one of the questions on the application for consent orders form deals with financial resources. Mm. And that's where it's an appropriate spot to put any sort of discretionary trust because it doesn't necessarily form part of the property. Um some judges may take the view that in a particular case it should be included, um, particularly where I think if the trustee happens to be one of the parties. Oh, and if it you is have a, the control. I mean, if you, you have the control over cases. Yeah, if yeah. you have the control over the trust, then it's more than likely to be treated as and ta- 
really given a lot of consideration in terms of um, the value of what's in that trust. And whether it's really property, because if That's somebody exactly controls right. it, then they can, you know, they can control where it goes. I.e., yeah. it's still property outside of a trust, or it could, it could be. But it it does it does complicate things when there are, um, say, for example, you've got a corporate trustee. It might be someone, uh, and that director of that corporation might, in fact, be, you know, a, a business partner or someone completely unrelated to yourself. Mm. Um, it does really complicate the situation because um, what that what that s- tells the court is that, oh, okay, well, we don't really need to make any sort of adjustment. You're, you're taken care of. You've got this this little um, means of, of uh, assi- financial assistance in the future. It's the same, same sort of um, reasoning behind if you're um, – if you've got other benefits paid for for you mm. on your behalf, so it's that sort of stuff where, you know, you might have, um, I don't know, you, you might be a, a, t- a school teacher and have um, a accommodation paid, mm. while ever you're, or that sort of thing. So it's taken as a financial resource. As, so some industries, sort of like mining industries, engineering, where people are working yeah. remotely, sometimes the accommodation is subsidised by the company. That's and right. Like that. Yeah. So now, I, one thing that um, the courts have found. Typically, and there's, of course, you can always find contrary cases, uh, that is not a financial resource is somebody's expectancy under a will mm. in certain cases. And look, one of the case, one of the key cases on that was, it goes back a little bit, um, almost 20 years now, but Tullicum White was where they, uh, the wife was expecting, uh, no, not wasn't expecting, that was the point. The wife was named as a beneficiary under her octogenarian mum's will, but... The mum was still fine. She was compus mentis. And so whilst the husband was trying to say, that's a financial resource of the wife, she's going to receive a substantial inheritance. You know, the courts turned around and, and, and said, and it went, I think it went to the full court, uh, that, that the, the notion that the wife was going to receive a benefit under the will, a gift under the will, at that moment in time, it was just an expression of intention. And the, the, the mum could change her mind. That's she right. could freely alter or revoke that will. Yep. Therefore, it didn't exist as a as a financial resource to the wife, and it, until such time as you know somebody passes away, or or to some extent, there are cases about somebody who's lost capacity, then being referred to in a will isn't a financial resource. No, and even and having if that wealthy in laws isn't necessarily even if that person help. does lose capacity. Say, for example, um, they've made that will because, as we most people um, should, if you've got assets or kids or both, um, you should have a will. And that if you and, and when you're making that will, once once you've made that will, your lawyer would have told you that at any time you can actually change your change your mind. You can you don't have to give reasons. You can you can just no, donate it all to charity. You can one day just wake up and go, okay, I'm going to do whatever. If um, you want to be capricious, you can be. I mean, it doesn't mean that your will couldn't be challenged. But I mean, no, this is the podcast about the Succession Act. But, but we both know that's right. So then, when you um, you know until such time that that person actually dies or becomes um, in a state that they can't, in fact, change their will anymore, they might have lost their marbles, things like that, um, then then that's then that's such an opportunity for um, the other party to say, well, well, the person who's trying to say that they're, they're not necessarily going to get their inheritance, you need to put your hand up and say, look, they could do whatever they want at this point. I'm not, prof- I'm not going to be giving legal advice here, but I could certainly understand how somebody might get legal advice that says something along the lines of, look, mum, you're going to be leaving me a pile of cash, but my relationship's a bit rocky. Would you mind awfully having a chat with your lawyer about 
making any benefit to me being inside a testamentary trust by, uh, by way of example mm. of the sorts of advice you might get. Yeah, that's um, right. But then, as you said before... This is with not legal advice. This no, is that's purely right. discussion on a le- this legal information. just having a chat. Having a chat with one another. Um, and in terms of... Um, even even to, in terms of challenging the will, you know, the, the court will... The court that hears that challenge will probably um, make their own decision and they're going to have no... It will have no impact, no bearing on, on whatever you... Um, are saying in your family law case. No. They are to- two totally um, separate issues. And so I think that in terms of um, the anticipated inheritance, it just needs to be cut out and say, nope, that's not going to happen. Or if you're on the other side of that, you try absolutely clearly to make sure that there's some kind of agreement that yeah, was there behind, that's right. the, behind the will. That's, well, right. that, that's just one of many. It just gives you a kind of an illustration that every case is so very different. Um and the 70-30 case, the 60-40 case, yours might fall easily with one of those or you might very well be a 50-50. But so get some early legal advice and obviously don't try and push the sticky stuff uphill. If you get advice to say this is where your settlement range is, maybe check it out. But get a deal done and get it done fairly early. So look, we're about out of time for this episode. So I'd like to say thank you very much for listening to Liza and I on Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast and tune in again next time. Thanks for listening to Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast. If you want to hear more of our episodes, you'll find us wherever you find your podcasts on all good podcasts.